and welcome to the Yarny Yaks podcast. This is episode 37, which we're recording on Wednesday, May 29th. I'm Gail. And I'm Charlene. And we have an awesome special guest today, Karita from the Neighborhood Fiber Company, which is my new favorite indie dyer. Welcome, Karita. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for generously giving us your time. We really appreciate it. So if our listeners remember, Charlene and I have been raving about Neighborhood Fiber Company yarn since we saw you and met you at Stitches West in February of this year. Actually, since we stopped you. Exactly. Karita has been very kind in her, very kind in the fact that Gail and I were literally stalking her booth every day that we were at Stitches. We spent a lot of time fondling skeins of yarn and talking about colors and projects. So as you can tell, we're fans. And I walked (laughs) away from Stitches with a lot of your yarn and I'm just delighted, (laughs) delighted. And I actually have to add, my mother came over for dinner the other night, and she pulled her current project out of her project bag, her very first garment that she's knitting in your gorgeous yarn. Is it Old Town East is the beautiful blue? Yes, yes. Yes, that's what she's using, and it's gorgeous. Did you know your mom bought some? Yes, I did know she had purchased them. That was one of the, when my mom showed up, she only had about two hours to shop, and I told her, this is one of the must-see booths. Yeah. So nice. Yes, I was st- so Charlene and I were stalking with other people. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. We brought guests. Yes, we did. <laughs> so we're going to do some of our regular segments today and skip some of the others so that we can have the fun of interviewing you and hearing more about your indie dyeing. So let's start off with what are you knitting, Karita? Well, I am actually crocheting. The pattern is called Kelp Forest, and it's by Yumiko Alexander. And I'm using it. It's a scarf, but I'm using it for the crochet coral reef project that I'm doing in Baltimore. So I'm going to hang it from the ceiling and have it look like a kelp forest hanging from the ceiling. And I'm using my yarn, the Studio Worsted, in Fells Point which is kind of a greeny with orange undertones. And I'm holding it along with the Loft, which is my silk mohair blend. And it's a lace weight, so I'm holding two strands of it. And I'm doing it in Clintonville and Rock Creek Park, which are both pretty shades of green. Ooh, that's going to be beautiful. Sounds beautiful. Very (laughs) kelp-like. Yes. So what is this project that you call it the Coral Reef Project? Yes, it is uh, the Hyperbolic Crochet Coral Reef Project. And it's a big community arts project that is has been all over the world, actually. It started in Los Angeles. They had it at the, at the Smithsonian Museum a couple years ago. And so we're doing our own smaller community version of it in the gallery in my apartment building. Wow, oh, how neat. Yeah, that's really neat. <laughs> yeah. So you say we are doing it. Who else is doing it with you? Well, I, I'm facilitating it. But since it's community arts, I've been teaching crochet workshops and teaching people how to crochet. And lots of community members have contributed pieces. So when I say we, I mean pretty much anybody who's interested in the Baltimore area. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I did I did not know that you also taught fiber arts crafts. 
It's been a long time, and it actually it was a challenge for me to get back to it. I used to teach knitting classes all the time, but I haven't done that in a few years, so this was a challenge for me. Nice. Wow. Well, we're going to have to research that and link to it. I mean, yeah. something that was at the Smithsonian, that is really, really <laughs> cool. I did not even know that. Fiber Arts hits the real art scene. <laughs> it's very exciting. Yeah, it sounds very cool. And the colors that you're using sound absolutely Kelpie, like Charlene said. That must just be beautiful. It's really, the um, the display is really great. It's got all these bright colors. I dyed a lot of the yarn, but also other people donated yarn, too. So it's a really nice mix. And some of the pieces are crocheted by hand out of roving so they're like really big and puffy it's very cool nice wow. nice that sounds fascinating yeah, sounds great so i just want to interject here do not check your smoke alarms if you hear squawking oh. it is the bird again <laughs> <laughs> it is not your smoke alarm it is not our smoke alarm it is the bird <laughs> i forgot about that well people have commented listening to our podcast before that they can hear my bird and a couple people have went to go check their smoke alarms because they thought it was the smoke alarm so no 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 yes it's just <laughs> ambient noise yes so what are you knitting charlene i am knitting a couple of things I am still working on my neon sweater by Hohi Locatelli. I picked it up again last night, worked on the second sleeve. So I'm getting there, almost done. I've been working on that for a little while. And then the second thing that I am working on is my lovely pendulum shawl. The pendulum is a pattern by Amy Miller, which Gail also knit last year for Mad May. And I have been searching for yarns, I guess, for a year. I should add, I was really horrified when I went to look for your shawl on Ravelry and realized it's that you had knit it a year ago. Exactly. Because Almost initially, to the day. Yeah, because initially I was thinking, oh, she just knit that a couple months ago. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then I realized... Oh my gosh, she yeah. knit that last Literally, year. Almost to the Mad day. May. Yeah. Right? We really do like knitting shawls this time of year. Uh, yeah. 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 We do. So I am knitting my pendulum out of Corita's yarn in the rustic fingering. So that is rustic fingering from Neighborhood Fiber Company. And my colors are Lauraville, which is a lavender, dusky lavender, and Charles Center, which is a silver gray. So it's going to be a nice, subtly striped shawl. I'm and really Charles excited. Center is my new favorite gray. It's a very pearly, silvery gray. It's yeah, it goes from amazing. a silver gray, very tonal. So it goes from a silver gray to a mid-tone gray, yeah. I would say. And it's more of a, it's a warmer gray. It's not a blue gray. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'm very happy with it. So those are the two things I am knitting. What about you, Gail? I am finishing up my Colors of Kauai cardigan, which is a pattern by Hannah Masijueska. And it's in Madeline Tosh DK in the Neon Rose colorway. It is my final Mad May project, and I am literally at the very end. I am knitting the final applied I-cord neckband. Then I have to sew on buttons and weave in a few ends. I weaved in most of the ends last night, but I'm trying to decide if I should block it before the buttons or after, and if I should do a ribbon grow grain ribbon on the button band or not because you did um, on your entangled vines right I did and it's the same yarn base oh okay I put one on because after I washed 
my yarn, it was just so soft and floppy. Superwash has that, that tendency to be so floppy. And even though the buttons weren't heavy, it was just awfully floppy. So I just put it on to reinforce it so that it wasn't flopping. Yeah, as so much. I'm debating whether I should do that or not. But again, it's the very, very tail end of the project. I'm super excited. I will have it done by May 31. Yay. And I also wound up my neighborhood fiber company last night, my Studio Sport, which I got at Stitches in the Rock Creek Park colorway, which, Karita, you just said you're holding a strand of that for yeah. this project. And my family, we were having a debate last night about what color this is. My husband, my husband is colorblind, and he saw me pull out this gain, and he said, oh, what color is that? And I said, it's emerald green. And my daughter walked into the room. She said, no, it's not. It's teal. And I said, oh, I think it's emerald green. And my son, who is typically very good with color, said, no, that's teal, Mommy. So, Karita, what, how would you describe <laughs> Rock Creek Park? Well, I would say that you're both kind of right. The first layer of color on that is teal. It's a bright turquoise. And then the second layer of color is green. It's But it's a very dark green, so yeah. they kind of combine to make an emeraldy with turquoise undertones. Yeah, because as I'm holding the skein right now, I can definitely see strands where it's turquoise and definitely strands where it's emerald green yeah. and then pretty much everything in between. Yeah. So you're right. We were both right. It is just, <laughs> it's such a beautiful color. And I'm going to knit the ivy trellis hat with that yarn, which has a leaf motif in it. So there couldn't be a prettier color yeah. green for a yeah. leaf motif hat. But oh, I, I was just digressing into stalking. So let me <laughs> stop there. And Karita, what are you stalking right now? I am stalking the Moonrise Shawl by Olga Baraya Kafelian. It's a free pattern on Ravelry, and it uses a silk and stainless steel yarn. And I am actually coming out with a silk stainless steel yarn in the next month or so. Oh. So I am looking for patterns that will use that yarn and really show it off. And this is going to be held alongside, for, for me, it's going to be held with the Capital Luxury Lace in a really pretty drop stitch short row shawl. Wow. That sounds really interesting. I have not worked with one of the stainless steel yarns, although I have seen them. So I've never seen one in person. <laughs> oh, you haven't? No. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What is that like to work with? Sure. It, you know, it's a very fine yarn, so it's nice to hold it with something else. And it, it has a lot of memory to it. So when you push it into place or do something with it, it wants to stay that way. It's a little stiffer than working with just wool or silk on its own. And it's, but it's got a really nice texture and it's very, you know, I think that I would probably not love working with it by itself, but held along with something else. It's perfect. And the result is something unlike anything you've ever seen. Wow. And so you're using it to knit a shawl and you're holding it with a silk mohair blend, you said? I'm going to hold it with the um, the luxury lace, which is the MCN blend that okay. is, you know, I didn't have it at Stitches West, so I don't think you guys have ever seen it. Ah, okay. Okay. It's like a heavy lace weight in the MCN. Oh, nice. So holding those two strands together, about what weight would you say you're achieving? Probably a fingering weight. 
Okay, and so what is the resulting, have you swatched or knit enough of the shawl yet to tell us if it's, I mean, I'm thinking of a shawl being a drapey garment and you said it's somewhat um, that you can shape it almost. How is it, have you knit enough to tell us what the fabric is like? The fabric is fairly drapey because I'm knitting it on a bigger needle, like a six. So it's not like a really tightly, it's not a dense fabric, but it's still like it, it hangs and it drapes, but you can manipulate it. Like I feel like I can block points into it and they will stay. Oh, wow. That's neat. That's amazing. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. wait. So <laughs> you said this is a new base that you are going to have. When will that be available? It should be available in the next month. I have the yarn. It's a yarn that I have to get from Japan, but it's coming to me fairly soon. Wow. Now, and how does, just out of curiosity, I'm jumping the gun into the dyeing questions, but how does a stainless steel blend take the dyes? Are you going to be able to use all your same dyes and colorways? I am. I'm going to do it in all the same colors that I normally do. And it, the stainless steel part of it doesn't take the dye, but the silk does. So it looks like a sort of a hundred percent silk yarn with flecks of silvery stainless steel colored bits in it. It's really pretty. Wow. Now, does that actually kind of sparkle, or is it? It catches the light, and it shines. Oh, oh wow. Sounds it sounds beautiful. <laughs> yes. We can't wait. <laughs> yeah. What color are you experimenting with? I am so predictable. Pink is my favorite color, so I'm working with Charles Village, which is kind of the bright. I call it the lipstick pink because I dyed it to match my lipstick. Oh, oh I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And actually, okay, so now we know where, wh what was the name of that one? Charles Village. Charles Village. Okay. So, oh, it's beautiful. Charlene just pulled it up on her iPad. <laughs> That's definitely a Gale color. Absolutely. <laughs> I, pink's my favorite I too, Karita. And so what are, what is the inspiration for your colorways? I know I'm deviating from stalking, but I'm just so <laughs> curious. What is your inspiration, Karita? Well, for me, all of the colors are inspired by neighborhoods. I, When I first started dyeing yarn, I was living in a basement apartment in Washington, D.C., and I wanted to sort of have an urban aesthetic. I wanted to show people that there are beautiful things in the city. So I came up with colors that were inspired by all the neighborhoods. And, you know, I don't live in D.C. anymore, so I have new neighborhood names that are in Baltimore and I lived in Columbus, Ohio for a year. So I have some Columbus, Ohio names, Victorian village, old town East Clintonville. Those are all my Columbus names. And it's just been kind of an, a natural expansion from all of the different places that I've lived and visited. Oh, I love that. So basically your, colorways have grown as you've moved from place to place and they're a hundred percent represented. It's like your life is represented in your colorways. You know, and I really like, I moved 14 times in 10 years. So I live, I've actually lived in, in a lot of the neighborhood. That's neat. That I is love really that. neat. Yeah. I love that. I lived most of my life in San Francisco, so I can definitely see 
that where that inspiration comes from thinking about the different neighborhoods that I've lived in too because I've lived all over the city too so that's I love it <laughs> yeah that's really really a fascinating special thing I mean I know a lot of dyers they have colorway names that are inspired by their life but you've actually kind of documented where you've lived and where you've gone and that's just a, that's it fascinating is. to that's me neat. I love it that's neat it's a lot of fun Wow. All right. So that was your inspiration. And now what are you stalking, Charlene? Sorry, I got off track oh, there. No worries. I am still stalking, just like we mentioned, shawls, still looking at two-color shawls. I apparently am fascinated by the two-color shawl thing that is going on right now. And actually, Karita, you had one in your booth at Stitches, the big, it wasn't what was that one called? It's not square. It was kind of, and it wasn't octagonal. Oh, I think that was an Ann Weaver pattern. Yes. What is the name of that pattern? <laughs> well, there are two of them. One of them is the Chittagong, and I know I had that sample, and that was I had that knit out of a lace weight. And the other one was one that she did in the Rustic Fingering, and it's called Traffic Furniture. That's the one. That's Traffic the one. Furniture. Traffic Furniture. Yes. Is there a story behind that name, by the way? That is, it's all Anne. All of, well, kind of the same way that I like to come up with things that are inspired by Baltimore and the city. She and I did a book, of like a short booklet together called Cityscapes. So a lot of the patterns are inspired by things that she saw in Baltimore and things that she was interested in in Baltimore. So traffic furniture is just a term to refer, refer to debris in the road. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh, I can see that. Okay, so I have been somewhat, that's one of the patterns I have been stalking. I've been kind of fascinated by the whole shape of it. I was, I, I spent a lot of time actually staring at the sample that you had in your booth at While Stitches. While I was shopping for yarn. Because I just, <laughs> I found the shape so interesting and how you knit it and how you block it out to be, kind of I guess it's octagonal it has I guess it has eight sides I'd have to count it yeah I think it does it yeah. starts four and then you like you're knitting in the round so you're making a square and then you sort of put stitch markers and you do more increases so you add another side yeah like four more sides yeah so and of course the colors that are on the pattern page for that purple and pink. I just love. Yeah, so. yeah, the sample <laughs> so you're wearing. I've actually been stalking that one, and I think I'd like to make that one in the future. So that's one of the things I'm stalking. I'm also just looking at worsted weight sweaters because Gail and I hit a yarn sale, and I bought some Dream and Color Classy. So I've got some of that sitting in stash now. Waiting use. for oh, a pattern. Waiting, yes. yes. How about you, Gail? What well, are you stocking? I'm boring because I'm also <laughs> stocking two-color shawls, and I'm also stocking hats. So I mentioned that I'm going to be casting on the Ivy Trellis hat by Alana Dacos, which is the bonus pattern if you pre-ordered her Botanical Knits mm -hmm. book. So I received the book in the mail last week, and it's just beautiful. So my Rock Creek Park is all ready to go for that. And there are a couple other hats that I've been stocking there's Pillsbury by Erin of the Double Knit Podcast, which mm -hmm. is a free pattern. It's a really cute hat that 
will definitely be on my needle soon. And there's another one called Weather the Weather by Megan Williams, who is from the Stockhead Zombies. And that's another free pattern. And they both are just really cute. They'll be great for my charity knitting, which I'm behind 2013. I'm supposed to have 13 hats done by December, and I'm behind. We'll so. catch up. We, yeah. <laughs> I've been on a sweater kick, so I think when this current sweater is off the needles, I'm going to be doing some instant gratification knitting. Well, you and I both tend to get in these moods where we'll knit several hats all at once. Exactly. And then catch up all at once. Gail and I both like to knit several hats a year that we give away to a local charity. And like I said, we just, during the year, we'll go for a few months without knitting any, and then we'll pop out a bunch of hats in one month to catch up, yeah. so to speak. So. Well, and also, I think it's it's on the tail end of a sweater jag. Like, yeah. Oh, I've knit a ton of sweaters. Exactly. Now I need some small projects right. that are almost right. instant gratification. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I'm stalking. And actually, to backtrack just a moment, Ann Weaver. So, Karita, I had the pleasure of meeting Ann Weaver in your booth in your at booth, Stitches, yes. which was perfect timing for me as I was knitting her Oranya sweater design, and she gave me some great tips. So, what is your relationship with Ann? Ann and I are really good friends. We met at a yarn store where she was doing an event, teaching a class, and then, you know, she ended up taking, I taught a dye workshop at the same yarn shop, so she took that class, and... The next time she came to town, she stayed with me, and it was supposed to be a short stay, maybe a couple nights, and it ended up being an eight-day stay. <laughs> awesome. So at the end of that, I knew that Anne and I would either be best friends or we would never speak to each other again. <laughs> As it happened, we, at the end of it, we're just best friends, so we do a lot of shows together, and we collaborate a lot, and it's great because it gives her a chance to go to big shows like Stitches West where she wouldn't necessarily be willing to, you know, have make the investment and have a booth of her own. Right. And it also means that she can help me sell yarn by bringing all of her pretty samples, knitting my yarn, and it's just a great collaborative relationship. And I even convinced her to move to Baltimore. <laughs> oh my gosh, really best friends. <laughs> she was living in Boston and I, I tell everyone, move to Baltimore, you can afford to buy a house. And that's exactly what happened. She and her husband moved down here and they just finished buying a house last week. Wow, yeah, that's really, fabulous. Yeah. So now you guys are even closer in proximity, best friends. Yes. And it's great too, because now she's here and she can work with uh, the other local dyers. Maryland has a really great scene with me being in Baltimore and Cephalopod Yarns is also in Baltimore and Dragonfly Fibers is in Kensington, Maryland. And we all collaborate and do amazing things together and call ourselves Team Awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, Cephalopod and Dragonfly Fibers? Yes, we all are we sometimes do big booths together. We do shows together. We all kind of share Anne and <laughs> all doing, we're actually doing a club together called Club Awesome. Oh, oh. my gosh. Tell us more about this club, Tell please. Club I'm already awesome. drooling. <laughs> club Awesome is going to start in August. So we should have it listed and available for sale within the next month. And basically it's, new bases from all of us, some new colors from all of us, 
it's a six month club. Every month you're going to get yarn and a pattern. And Anne is designing three of the patterns. We're each doing two months. So it's split up evenly. And it's just a good chance to kind of sample the aesthetic from the Maryland Dyers. Wow. Very nice. I have some (laughs) friends who live in your area. And there was, I want to say, a fiber crawl. Yes, we did a holiday open studio studio crawl thing. Yeah, kind of before Christmas. Yeah, right before Christmas. It was for the moment. We decided it was our sort of test run to see what we could do with all of us together. And it was great. We were just all open for the weekend and we had passports and there were door prizes. It was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, I, I, from that event, some of our friends online had said, oh my gosh, Neighborhood Fiber Company and Dragonfly Fibers. And then I got lucky enough to see you at Stitches and I said to them, oh my gosh. Go you, see it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So Club Awesome by Team Awesome. That is so yeah. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Now I'm thinking... August, my birthday's in September, so I probably can't convince my husband <laughs> as a birthday present, so I'll have to be thinking of other reasons that I should get that as some kind of present. <laughs> How cool is that? Okay, so that's your relationship with Ann Weaver, which is very cool. I mean, it's like when you get a best knitting friend, like yes, me and Charlene, yes, it's just, yeah. it's such a cool... It works. You yeah. can bounce ideas off of each other, and you keep keep it keeps it fresh, keeps it exciting. Well, and it's um, someone else who understands you're kind of right. crazy, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. So, and when did you start knitting, Karita? I meant to ask you that. I didn't start knitting until after college, and this is this is dating myself. So that was about 10 years ago. Uh, a friend of mine taught me how to knit. I didn't think that I would like it. I didn't think that I would be any good at it because I was never an artist before. And I just picked it up. And once she taught me, I felt like my hands should have always been knitting. The needles felt exactly right. So I started knitting obsessively and she stopped knitting, but I still was knitting obsessively and knitting presents for her and presents for everyone. Everyone got scarves that year for Christmas. <laughs> nice. But, you know, I just I just fell in love with the fiber arts and knitting and all of and yarn. Oh, I just love yarn. And then how did that transition into your dyeing career? Well, I again, I was so in love with yarn. I just got a job at a yarn shop. Oh, okay. Like every knitter, I thought it would be super fun to work at a yarn shop and I was actually managing the shop and I decided I wanted a yarn business but after working in the shop and managing the shop I knew I didn't want a yarn store so I decided that I would start a yarn dyeing business because I thought that I had a really good sense of color uh-huh. and I figured that the rest of it would just work itself out. and how it seems like that worked for you yeah at this point it really has there were some hiccups some ups and downs I definitely had a lot to learn I taught myself how to dye yarn so there was definitely a learning curve but it really has all worked out well can you tell us a little bit about your dyeing process and your yarns are primarily tonals so I guess you would call that, or would you call that a type of kettle dyeing? Yes. I 
call it kettle dyeing, but I figured out that everyone, when they say kettle dyeing, means something a little different. Right. So when I say kettle dyeing, I mean that I start with a big stock pot full of water, and I put acid in it, which in this case is citric acid powder, uh, and then I put the dye in, and then I add the yarn when the water is nice and hot. And from there, I layer more colors on top of it to kind of give it the sort of slightly varied, you know, the way that you can get emerald green and turquoise in the same skein. Right. right. So you have all the different tones in there. Yes. Are they actually different dye, I mean, different containers of dye that you're pouring in? Yes. Hear it? Oh, okay. So then when you said the first layer for Rock Creek Park is a bright teal turquoise, that's literally the color of dye you're putting on, and you follow that with a dark green. Yes, and the dark green is a green that I mix from three other colors. Wow. Okay, so you're literally layering the colors. Yes. Which is exactly how I would describe looking at a skein of your yarn. Right. <laughs> it has that tonal depth and layering to it that just fascinates me with hand-dyed yarns. It's just stunning. It's really something you can't recreate with machine-dyed yarns. Yeah, I'm not surprised if you're literally pouring dye on the top of yarn. How could you possibly reproduce that with a machine? <laughs> right, right. And now the differences between dyeing plied yarns versus single-ply yarns, is there a difference in doing that? Yeah, we're curious about that because of the different appearance of the yarn. Is it Does it look different because it's single-ply versus multi-ply, or is there an actual physical I know dyeing reason? From a consumer point of view, we can look at a skein of Lauraville and see it on the rustic fingering, and it's going to look different than it looks on a plied base. Absolutely. They are absolutely different, and it's just because of the way the wool takes the yarn. So the single ply has more surface area in a way to kind of all happen at once. Uh, whereas with the plied yarns, if you look at the plied yarns, like you have some studio sport right there. Mm -hmm. If you kind of unply it, it's three plies oh. and you can see that each of the individual plies has a slightly different look to it. Right. And that's the way that the rustic fingering takes the dye. It takes it as though it's just one of those plies. So the single ply looks more varied, yeah. I would say, than the plied yarns because it has, you know, more, more depth of color. Yeah, we're doing that right now. We did pull apart the three plies and yeah. it's it's like the almost like the outside bit is darker than the inside of the yarn on these. It's really, really it just, pretty. Yeah, it just varies with the twist. Yeah. You can see it. And then even where places where there's a knot where the skein was tied together, you can kind of pull it. Yeah, to see the a, a knot that was in the, the yarn that ties the skein right, together. Right, that held I it together for the that. dying process. But, okay. It was intentional. You, yeah, you can even see white base under that. Yeah, nice. it's Absolutely. beautiful. Depending on which bases I'm dyeing, I don't, I don't usually pre-soak the yarn. So, you know, especially the ones that are fingering weight and sport weight because it's easier to get more coverage without soaking. Because if you soak the 
fibers, it kind of opens up everything and makes the yarn more ready to take dye. Oh. But with the thinner yarns, that's not as much a necessity. And if you pre-soak, you might lose some of the variation that I'm going for. Oh, but I do pre-soak the worsted weight because it is four plies and I want the fibers to be more open because there's going to be variation anyway. And also because the worsted is the yarn that people most often use for sweaters. Mm -hmm. So I'm going for the least amount of variation in sweater yarn. Right. Oh, well, that makes sense. That yeah. Makes sense. And that actually brings up another thing that we wanted to ask you about. Charlene, you have one of her labels there that refers to alternating, right? Oh, right. Okay. So on your label, underneath the name, it says each skein is unique for consistent results alternate between two skeins. Now, Gail and I have kind of have a process that we go through when we're working with hand dyed yarns. We like to open up all the skeins before we wind them, look at them, kind of see which skein looks a little bit darker. If there isn't, if there is variation and usually with hand dyes, there is even yarns that were dyed together. There's a little bit of variation. You find maybe one skein that has a little bit more dark area, one skein that has a little bit more light area. And I like to plan out before I wind the yarn or do anything, I plan out which skeins I'm going to use where. I plan out if I'm going to alternate, usually I do, where I'm going to alternate if there's a, a particular skein that I'm going to use, say, on the ribbing or the, the button band or the collar or the hood. I just like to pre plan all that out before I even get to the winding of the yarn. And I noticed, like I said, that you recommend to alternate. And for clients, customers who have not worked with hand dyed yarn, I assume there's a little bit of education that you need to give. I, I'm there are probably knitters who have never used hand dyed yarn that are a little bit afraid. The whole process of alternating might sound a little scary to them. What kind of education or recommendations do you like to give to your customers? It is for me a very common question from customers. I will often respond to emails asking what I mean by alternate skeins. And for me, with the color layering process, even skeins that have been in the same pot together that are from the same batch of dye, there may be differences in them. So I try to encourage customers if we're in person selling things at my studio or at a show, I will unwind the skeins for them and we'll look and pick the ones that look the most alike. And I usually like to have a sample knit going that I can show people how I alternate skeins because I just carry the yarn up the sides generally. Mm -hmm. And if anyone orders multiple skeins from my website, I always try and pick the ones that look the most alike. And just kind of explain to people that if you want a more consistent result, if you're making a larger garment, it's a good idea to alternate skeins so that you will have a front of a sweater and a back of a sweater that look the same or, you know, so that you don't have sleeves that are a drastically different color than the rest of your sweater. Right, which I've learned the hard way. <laughs> I have two with my own hand eyes. Yeah, I think it's kind of a learning process. The more you yeah. do it, the more you yeah. just, it becomes natural as 
a part of the planning, like you yeah, said, Charlene. Definitely, because I think when I first started to, I didn't really understand. I remember the first time I encountered uh, Malabrigo yarns, and I was fortunate because I remember the skeins I had really did not have a lot of variation in them, but I know initially I did not bother with the pre-planning and the alternating and now I wouldn't jump into a project with hand-dyed yarn without thinking of that exactly without laying all the skeins out and yeah. doing a little pre-planning so it just it's a learning process like you said definitely and nothing to fear <laughs> and it generally applies to the bigger projects like Karina right. mentioned so right. if you're doing a single skein project obviously you don't have that right. as an issue right so. and I don't it for a shawls little things you probably don't really it's just the big garments yeah. that I worry about it and I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that now I'm just hooked on hand dyed yarns because <laughs> when I see machine dyed yarns they just look so flat and lifeless to me <laughs> that I can't imagine knitting with them for anything more than a hat or something because you would just get so bored with the color. <laughs> it sounds horrible, but it's true. <laughs> it's wool is a, a it's a it has a life of its own. Yeah, so you exactly. have to appreciate exactly. that that part exactly. of it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, now and actually speaking of wool having a life of its own, Karita, I know that you also sell some silk blends. Can you Teach us a little bit about how the dyeing process is different for a silk blend than it is for a wool. Absolutely. I always say that silk is very, very thirsty. Uh, it drinks up the dye. You have to use more dye than you would for the same weight of yarn and silk. I always have to pre-soak silk. You really want to open up the fibers if you're going to dye it. And it really just, it drinks up the dye and it exhausts the dye pot so quickly. But it really, uh, it has a different kind of look. You get the sheen, the pretty shininess of silk. But certain colors are not as, they're not as deep in the silk as they are in the wool. Wool is definitely still my preference. And I love the blends that have the silk and wool with them especially the ones where you can kind of see. So the silk and the wool take the dye very differently, but I really like the way that they work together. So sometimes you will see fibers that have silk and wool in them blended. And if you look closely, you can actually see the way that the silk has take, taken the dye slightly differently than the wool within a single skein. And it's really pretty. Nice. It gives it a kind of heathered look. Yes, yeah. Okay, so that silk is thirsty, and I know it does have the sheen to it. So it has, I mean, that's, I would think, like a light reflecting part of it, not a dye mm -hmm. part. It's just the fiber itself that's giving it that. Different quality. Yeah. yeah. Right. Even just in the natural white, it's shiny and beautiful. <laughs> and you said that wool is your preference. Is that because of how it takes the dye? I like the way it takes the dye. It's easier to dye. And I like to knit with wool. I really like the way that wool springs back and wears well. And I just love wool. And you dye superwash wool. And I know that superwash wool takes dyes differently than non-superwash wool. Do you 
I'm trying to remember, I don't think you had any non-superwash wools at Stitches. Do you dye any non-superwash wools? And I know that superwash wools are probably what's what seems to be very popular right now as well. Right. I have more demand for superwash wools, so that's what I dye. And also, I because I'm layering the colors and trying to kind of mix things around in the pot in very, very hot water, it's nice to work with superwash wool because I don't have to worry about it felting if I am too rough with it. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Because I imagine that it does, non-superwash wool must felt pretty quickly in hot, hot water. It does. And sometimes that is, you know, what you want and what you're going for. If you want to have like a single ply merino that is very kind of loosely spun, it's nice if you can get a little bit of felting to happen in the dye pot because then it makes the yarn a little sturdier. Mm -hmm. But you lose kind of the, the softness that you had before, and you also lose some length. You lose some actual... Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's just fascinating to me, how the different, <laughs> the different fibers, it seems intuitive to me that they would take dye differently. But the difference in the plies really surprised me. I mean, yeah. you can see it when you look at the skein. Yeah. But I never thought of it in terms of each of those individual plies, the plies absorbs yeah. Yeah. the dye differently. Just gives it a lot of depth. Yeah. The which I really like. Yeah. And that's what I always, that's the first word that always comes to mind when I think of my <laughs> favorite hand dyed yarns. It's just the depth of color that they have. And that's one thing I have a question for you about, Karita. How do you or can you accurately capture the color of one of your yarns on film, be it <laughs> with the camera or I Skype with friends sometimes and I'll hold the skein up to the camera and it never looks the same on film or via Skype as it does in your hand. I mean, it's so impossible to describe to someone the difference. So how do you or can you capture the color? I have to admit that I cannot capture the real depth of color and the variations when I take photos or when I film anything, it just isn't the same as seeing it in person. Yeah. Uh, especially the colors, certain colors are harder to photograph than others. Right. Things with reds are really hard. That turquoise that's underneath the, uh, the emerald in the Rock Creek Park is very hard to photograph. And so all of the colors that I have that are layered with turquoise are also very hard to photograph. Yeah. So it's very, it's a challenge. It really is a challenge, but I just, I really like the bright saturated colors, which makes it hard to photograph them. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I have to just say that for anyone who's looked on Karita's website or looked at finished objects and such in Ravelry, that if you could imagine the same yarn base with a depth of color times about a million, you might be close to the actual product that you would hold in your hand. Because the other, you just mentioned that reds are hard to capture too. Right. I finished my boxy sweater, which I used your rustic fingering base in the Truxton Circle colorway. And that's another one where when I've tried to describe that color to people, I fail. So how would you describe that colorway, Karita? <laughs> 
Well, I think of that color as the colors that it's layered with. So a violet and a rubine, which is a kind of red that already has some violet in it. So it's like red, violet, violet. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's Yeah, that's yeah. very good. <laughs> okay. And since we're talking specific colors, I have a skein of your Studio Worsted Station North sitting here, which is going to be winging its way to one of you lucky listeners yeah. in a contest we are going to have. Can you tell us a little bit about Station North? We'll post a picture in the thread in our Ravelry group, but tell us a little bit about the dyes you use for Station North. Well, uh, Station North is the rubine, and it's layered with another dark red and layered with a more scarlet orangey red. So it's basically all of the reds that I mix nice. all together layered, and it comes out in a very blue red which is my preference. That's more the shade of red that I look good in. So I, my favorite. <laughs> and it's also station North is the neighborhood where I currently live. Oh, oh okay. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's where my apartment is. It is an artist district in Baltimore. So it's designated by the state as being a district that supports artists. And I live in an artist apartment building. So station North is very close to my heart. Well, that's fascinating. I love that little personal detail. And it's beautiful. I think this yarn, if for any of you who have ever seen Madeline Tosh Tarte in real life, it's Tarte only better. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's really a beautiful red. And I was surprised when you said that there's a layer of reddish orange dye in it because I'm not very good with colors, but I can't see that at all. I mean, there's to me, there isn't any orange in this yarn at all. It's just the most deep, beautiful, almost rubyish red. <laughs> it's just stunning. Yeah, it is. And like Charlene said, this is a skein of her Studio Worsted. It's 100% superwash merino. And one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the generous put-ups of your yarn. So mm-hmm. the Studio Worsted, it's 400 yards to a skein. So, Karita, what is the wonderfulness that inspired you to make such generous put-ups? Well, it's two things, actually. One is that I don't like to weave in ends. Yay! <laughs> and the second thing is that I like people to be able to buy one skein and get a full project. Because... As we said, you have to alternate skeins if you're working with more than one skein. So it's nice for people to be able to get an accessory project, like make a whole scarf and have it all be the same color out of one skein. So I really like that for people. And also it's, you know, it's economy. It's nice for me to only have to wind off skeins and I wind off fewer skeins with that way. I just wind off fewer, larger skeins. And I've been able to get to the point where I can afford to buy yarn in large enough quantities that I can get a good price on it. So I can pass that on to the consumer with the big put ups. See, and that's another comment I wanted to make about your yarns in general is I was stunned at how reasonably priced your yarn is because at stitches, my first task was to get yarn for my friend, Sarah in the UK. So I was looking for her colors, which are basically my colors. And when I rounded the corner at Stitches and saw your booth, I was just 
literally, I, I'm sure my mouth was hanging open and I gasped aloud. And the first thing that drew my attention was the Ward Circle, which is the bright turquoise that you have in the studio worsted. And I walked up and I picked up the skein and I thought, oh, 400 yards. Oh, this is going to be cost prohibitive. And it wasn't. It was completely <laughs> reasonable. So I just I really appreciate that your yarns are reasonable for how beautiful they are. I would think they'd be more expensive. Well, thank you. It really, I, I work with mills in North America for the most part. Uh, the only mills that I work with that aren't North America are the ones for the silk, and that all comes from Japan. I try and do the best that I can to sort of have everything be reasonably priced and also fair trade. So it's really, it's it makes me happy to hear that people appreciate the pricing and the put up. Yeah, we yeah, really do. We do. And, you know, I'm a knitter who's always on a budget, and I love the 400-yard skeins of Studio Worsted, and the rustic fingering is a generous 475. So I'm using two skeins for my shawl right now. I'll be able to get a very large shawl and probably have some left over for a small shawl or a small other accessory afterwards. And I love that. I love that you can purchase just a few skeins, have a few ends to weave in, and I'm primarily a sweater knitter, so probably three skeins of Studio Worsted would work for us. Yeah, absolutely. And my Studio Sport is 355 yards, so that's going to be easily two hats in one skein of yarn. Or if you like matchy-matchy, you could do a hat and fingerless mitts in the same (laughs) yarn or a hat and a cowl or, you know, you're getting the picture. It's enough yarn to really do something with. It's It's fantastic. And it's not, for me also, it's not that odd quantity of yarn where a lot of sport weight yarn is sold in like a 250 yard put up, which is enough to knit a hat. But then you have this chunk of yarn left over. What am I ever going to do with this? So when I, when I started uh, dyeing the studio sport, I actually had different size put ups. I've experimented with them. And what I wanted, what I figured out I wanted most was a skein of sport weight yarn that you could make a pair of socks out of. Oh yeah. I never would have thought of that. So 355 yards is enough to make the average, you know, the average woman a pair of socks. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. I never would have (laughs) thought of that. I never think of sport weight as sock yarn, but it would be so much faster. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And nice cushy socks. Yeah. Which is what I prefer to wear. Ooh, (laughs) that was a great idea. Now my mind is spinning. Okay. Okay. And you also... Two things that I wanted to recapture that you said earlier. I loved how you described that when you were knitting, it was like what your hands were always meant to do. That was just such a perfect way yeah. to describe <laughs> how those of us who just are. Who obs- can't sit still. Exactly. <laughs> it's like our hands have to be doing something. And when you discover what that thing is, it's the coolest thing. It fits. Yeah. yeah. It just fits. And the other thing you said that startled me, you said you were never an artist before you started knitting. No, I wasn't. I I'm, I can't draw very well. I was never into art classes when I was in high school or before that. My undergraduate degree is in international affairs. Wow. <laughs> so, so I just didn't, I never thought of myself as being artistic. So then is your 
incredible color sense, just part of your personality, but you never <laughs> thought of yourself as an artist. I'm fascinated by that. Honestly, I think my color sense is just part of my personality. I always, I worked a lot of retail when I was in uh, high school and college, and I was always really good at helping people pick out unusual color combinations for their outfits. Yeah. And I also have really grown as my sense of color has grown as time has gone on. Like I can look back at the palette that I had when I started Neighborhood Fiber Company and say with honesty that I've gotten a lot better at oranges and I've gotten a lot better at blues than I used to be because those are not my colors. Right. I'm not a person who's into greens and yellows and most of the warm colors. I like jewel tones and cool colors. So it was a challenge for me to kind of get better at those colors and really appreciate them. And it just kind of progressed organically from my natural tendency towards everything being pink and purple. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're, you're just like me. Just like me. Except for I don't have the color sense you do. I rely on people like you to provide it for me. <laughs> okay. So is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about Neighborhood Fiber Company? Well, I am coming out with, in addition to the silk and stainless steel, I have two new base yarns coming out this summer. One of them is an Aran weight, kind of an Aran chunky. It's a lot like the Studio Worsted, only instead of being four plies, it's six plies. So it'll be a nice kind of heavier sweater yarn, good for accessories in the fall. And I really like the way that the rustic fingering takes dye. And I love the single ply. So I've decided to add a DK weight that is also a single ply. So it's going to be rustic DK. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and those should both be out before the end of the summer. I would say by August. Absolutely Great. awesome. So you have the steel stainless steel silk blend, a new Aaron six ply, and a single ply DK all up and coming. And you have the Team Awesome Club Awesome up and coming. And please tell me you're going to be at Stitches again next February. Absolutely. It was a great show for me. It was so much fun. And it's really nice to be on the West Coast in February when you're from the East Coast. <laughs> oh, I can imagine, yeah. I can imagine. And do you have some new colorways coming out too? I do. I've been playing around a lot with some new colors. I I add colors. I can't seem to get rid of any of the old ones because I feel attached to all of them. So I just keep adding more. Yeah, that was going to be my question. If you also retire colors as you add new colors. I don't generally. I think I might retire one or two colors that don't sell very well and don't really reflect what I feel like the Neighborhood Fiber Company aesthetic is anymore. Yeah. You probably haven't even seen them because I don't dye them as often. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. But as I add colors, I will probably retire one or two. Now, and speaking of your company itself, do you do regular updates on your website? I mean, if I want to go get a sweater quantity of your yarn or anything else, what's the best way for me to do that? Well, I don't do regular, like, every other week updates yet. I am working on that this summer. This summer is my time to kind of 
build up a big supply of yarn for the fall and I don't have any shows coming up where I have to travel. So that's really nice for me. Um, if you are looking to sort of keep up with the updates, the best way to do that is actually through Twitter or Facebook. And both of the links for our Twitter page and our Facebook page are on our regular website, which is neighborhoodfiberco.com. Or you can keep an eye on Ravelry. Uh, my Ravelry username is just Karida, K-A-R-I-D-A. It's my first name. And I try to post updates about when I update the web store. And also, if you want a sweater quantity of yarn, I would love to just dye it for you. Send me an email. So you take custom orders. I do, because it's nice, actually. I like doing that because then I know that I can dye you the right amount for your project all at once. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Absolutely yeah. awesome. That's great. Yeah, just send me an email. Fabulous. Okay. And to, oh, so Charlene and I both mentioned the Studio Worsted that you very, very generously donated as a prize for anyone listening to this episode who posts in the group, we will open a we'll thread. Open a special contest. Today. Yeah, a special mm-hmm. thread. And please, in your post, mention your favorite neighborhood fiber company color. And we will close that. I'm referring to my notes. We're going to close that at midnight, Sunday, June 9th. So that gives you a while to get your post in there mm-hmm. about your favorite color. And then we will pick a winner and Charlene and I will cry when we part with this because <laughs> it's so pretty. And I've been fondling it for weeks. I know. We, it sits on my desk. We've both been fondling it and trying not to drool on it because, you know, that's just not very nice. Right. So, But it's absolutely gorgeous. And I did also want to thank Celia Pinot Noir for her donation to the podcast. Thank you, Celia. Thank you. And funny, Celia, we met her for the first time at Stitches West, and she was pulling out of her bag her Station North and her Charles Center, which she had just bought to make something striped. And we were gasping over how pretty it was. (laughs) So she is another fiber, a neighborhood Neighborhood fiber company lover. Yes. Yay. We also have a prize winner for the two skeins of Ophelia MCN by Madeline Tosh that Karen, who is rear donk on Ravelry, very, very generously donated. So our number generator was from 2 to 153, and 36 was the winner, and that's Pat PJ McMullen. So congratulations. (laughs) Charlene is going to send those to you, and again, she's wants to keep them so <laughs> they're very very pretty you'll you'll love it when you see it so just contact me pm me on ravelry and we'll get the address and contact send it away yes. so karita thank you so so much for your time and for donating the yarn as the giveaway i can't wait to see your show again in february i'm just so thank looking you. forward to it oh just, thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun thank you very much we appreciate the time and effort you've spent. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Happy knitting. Happy knitting. Bye-bye. You can find us on iTunes at Yarniacs Podcast. Visit our blog with show notes at yarniacs.com. We have a growing Ravelry group, and you can follow us on Twitter at Yarniacs. Goodbye and good knits.